All right, so we've got through all 27 players who we thought most contributed to uh, this Melbourne flag tilt, which was ultimately successful. So to round off this conversation, we're going to go through uh, some points from the years 2014 all the way through to 2021. Hopefully this part will be a bit quicker, but uh, we can always cut it up a little bit if we need to. So let's let's wind our minds back to 2014. Where are we in 2014, Johnny? Yeah, 2014. So uh, time for change at the Melbourne Football Club. Uh, the previous year was a disaster. Uh, some record buildings. Coach Mark Neild was sacked. CEO Cameron Schwab sacked. Um, fined $500,000 for the tanking saga, where they were found not guilty of tanking, but behaviour not in the spirit of the game or something like that. Um so basically yeah. tanking without tanking. Pretty much, yes, yes. And look, the club was in trouble. Uh, yeah, uh, the AFL needed to... The club went to the AFL for support and the AFL recommended Peter Jackson to take over as CEO. One of Jackson's first moves was to get in a very experienced and credible coach and that man was Paul Roos. So the 2013 draft... Uh, well, sorry, 2013 trade period and free agency also brought in Daniel Cross and Bernie Vince as experienced midfielders. And also with uh, the trades, sorry, we traded pick two for Dom Tyson and pick nine, which was Salem. And we also brought in Jay Kennedy Harris, Jaden Hunt and Mitch Clisby at pick 82. In this year, it was really clear that there wasn't that much expected from Ruse in his first season. It was mainly about teaching one aspect of the game, which was defence, and getting depth into the midfield. Uh, the Ds won four games this year, and while it seemed uh, like we were coming from a fair way back, there was some light at the end of a very, very long tunnel. What, did, what are your memories, Dan? Yeah, I just remember how happy all Melbourne supporters were, the fact that we got Ruse in. And I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a quick fix. But no. yeah, just to have a sure head at the wheel and uh, someone who understands you know, what it actually takes to build a club back up. So yep. th- the fact that Melbourne were able to get him and that he was willing to do it was fantastic. And yeah, only four wins, but he identified the fact that they needed to instill the defense and become more competitive in the midfielder uh, in the yep. midfield and i think they definitely did both those things i agree all right so 2015 second year of ruzi so as we referenced earlier this is where we get petrarca in the draft but he does his knee in uh, the preseason and is out for the whole year Melbourne has actually a pretty good year, all things yep. considered. Uh, they go 7-15 and 15 to finish 14th place on the ladder with a percentage of 75%. Probably the biggest standout for the year is the first year forward, I'm pretty sure, Jesse Hogan uh, kicks either his first or second year. He hadn't uh, played enough games to be ineligible for the Rising Star anyway because he wins it with 44 goals uh, holding off another budding young star in Patrick Cripps. So, yeah, that was a big talking point towards the end of that year. You know, would it be Cripps? Would it be Hogan? But, uh, yeah, I guess the difficulty in holding down that key forward spot as a very young player got uh, Hogan the nod there in the voting. And uh, another standout in 2015, 
was uh, the famous win at Geelong Canidia Park there by 14 points. So I think most people were expecting Melbourne to get belted, you know, eight to 10 goals and they could just completely flip the script. Uh, this was Max's breakout game. Many other players had games just off the charts and uh, yeah, uh, holding off Geelong in that second half after building a decent lead. It was actually their first win there since 2005. So yeah, definitely a uh, moment in time, that one, where things seem like they might be going in a different direction for Melbourne. Yeah, yep, yeah, it was a um, steady improvement. Uh, we, look, we, were, we weren't super consistent yet. It was a very, it was still a developing side, at least. Um, we would have really good wins here and there. Uh, th- there were a lot of periods in the games where we would, I guess, go missing and some games, I remember one against GWS, I think it was, might have been round two uh, in Canberra, I think, where well, I think we literally went about 15 minutes without touching the ball. <laughs> um, there were a <laughs> wow. few games like that, but obviously the glim- more and more glimpses of a good side and uh, yeah, on the right track. So what happens in 2016, Johnny? Yes, so 2016, uh, as mentioned earlier, we got Jake Melksham in, but he couldn't play due to the supplement saga. We also brought in Ben Kennedy, who was part of the Jeremy Howe trade uh, and also part of the uh, trade from of Jimmy Tumpus to Port. So picks changing hands a bit there. Also Tom Bug from GWS uh, and pick seven in exchange for 10, 43 and 64. Uh some of the retirements, Daniel Cross had retired after giving two years of service and helping bring up some of our other midfielders. Uh, he stayed on as a coach, though. Um, Rowan Bale, Jack Fitzpatrick, and Mark Jamar to Essendon, uh, also Geordie McKenzie. So a few guys went out, uh, guys who had been part of, I guess, uh, maybe the, the Dean Bailey and, um, and Neil era. It was, it was a bit more of a changing of the guard. Um, off the field, lots of changes too. Simon Goodwin uh, increasing his responsibilities, having a lot more say in the game plan and how Melbourne were playing their footy. Uh, he coached all NAB challenge games. We also brought in Craig Jennings as a game analyst and some fancied our chances for the finals. Uh, others were just hoping to be maybe around the 10 win mark. That was me, actually. Um, but yeah, yeah. Some were thinking we could be in or out of the finals. Um, in the national draft, we brought in Clayton Oliver, Sam Wiedemann, uh, Liam Hewlett, and who was the last one? Mitch King. Uh, in the rookie draft, Josh Wagner, Viv Mitchie, and Joel Smith. Some good wins over Collingwood twice. Hawthorne for the first time in 10 years. Richmond on Antic Eve. Dan, uh, the side would still go to sleep in some of the games but there was even more improvement this year and with some of the scalps we were taking it seemed like 2017 was the year to aim for finals absolutely and uh was this the last year of ruse or was yes. there one more yeah no, this so. is the last year of ruse yes yeah so there was a hand over there with goodwin as you referenced he'd been earmarked to take over uh, obviously, Ruse had said that it was always going to be a temporary arrangement and right from the start, everyone knew that and it was going to hand over to Goodwin. I remember that it did actually take a while for Melbourne to actually find someone 
who was going to be taking over there, like right at the start of all this. But uh, yeah, good Goodwin was keen, and uh, I guess for whatever reason, he wanted to take on the Melbourne project. Yeah, it's still funny that uh, I was stoked when he took that on because um, I'm pretty sure at the time that he decided to come to Melbourne, Adelaide had just sacked Brenton Sanderson. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I just remember it, around that time we were about to, it seemed like we were about to go, because we'd missed out on Stuart Jew, I think, and it seemed like we were going, we were pretty happy with what Goody had to offer and he was going to be the guy. And it seemed like right at the 11th hour, Adelaide sacks Anderson. And it seemed like Mark Crescuto was making this play to get Goody in as the coach there. And that I just remember thinking that it was like a Thursday night thinking, ah, oh, damn, tomorrow they're going to they're gonna announce that. He's going to get his good friend Goody in and it's going to ruin our plans of a successor. <laughs> the next day, um, I get a message from, uh, yeah, from Alex. From front, and he said, yep, Simon Goodwin, new assistant at Melbourne. I'm like, Wow, that's awesome. Um, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was working under Ruse, but yeah, he turned his back on the on the old the old mob and carved out his own direction. Yeah, you would think that working under Ruse would have been a pretty good lure for pretty good pull. a coach yeah. trying to uh, you know build the experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And uh, yeah, from 2017 on, it was over to Goodwin. What could he do? So in 2017, they got a bit more experience in with some trades uh, for Jordan Lewis from Hawthorne and uh, Hibbard from Essendon. Uh, I guess what you were saying with Hibbard is they probably had got him the year earlier, but they couldn't really play him. Is that sort of how it worked out? Um, that was Milksham. Uh, Hibbard came once okay. he was yeah, eligible yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, 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 all good. Okay, and they actually moved to co-captains as well. So now it was Nathan Jones and Jack Viney sharing the responsibility. Uh, interestingly, Oliver won his best and fairest in just his second year, as we mentioned earlier, but he won it very easily. So absolutely smashed them in that. And uh, leading goal kicker, Jeff Garlett uh, with 42, which is probably a little bit of a worry if you know small forward is winning a goal kicking, but that is a lot of goals. <laughs> So uh, all in all, they had a good year with the young developing side and basically it came, all came down to the last game against Collingwood who were well out of the finals race and uh, Melbourne went five goals down very early in that game. They did play a little bit better in the second half but they had left their run too late and ultimately went down and uh, thanks to other results, finished ninth that season. But uh, yeah, it was very painful at the time and uh, I don't know, I don't feel like Melbourne would have done a lot in the finals if they had actually made it. But at that point, you just wanted them to make it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, you, you just wanted them to break that that damn hoodoo of being out of the finals. And, and you wanted them to just get a taste of finals experience as well. Um, they might have they might have won one game. They probably wouldn't have gone very deep. But yeah, you just wanted them to be there. It had been so long since 2006 and yeah the other thing that stood out to me was that there were plenty of guys who kicked 20 plus goals so there'd been for a long time through these this 2010s period Melbourne's forward line had been just so dysfunctional they just didn't have enough guys that could actually kick goals so Hogan, Watts, uh, Petrarca, Melksham, Hannon, Tom McDonald, 
And then, of course, Garlett with plus 40. But all these other guys had plus 20 goals. So Melbourne were actually able to put some score on the board, which was uh, making them harder to play against. And uh, I guess this is a bit of the genesis of what happens next, eh, Johnny, in 2018? It certainly is. It certainly is. And after the surprises of the Bulldogs and Richmond the two years previous... Some were saying that maybe Melbourne could be the next surprise packet. Um, after the tragedy of missing out of finals in 2017, uh, Melbourne added Jake Lever for oh sorry Jake Lever and pick 35, which was Harrison Petty, and gave up pick 10, a 2018 first rounder and a 2018 fourth rounder. Um, we also traded Jack Watts to Port Adelaide for pick 31, which became Bailey Fritch. And drafted Charlie Spargo at pick 29 and Oscar Baker at pick 48. Uh, quite a bit of experience did go out the door. Uh, not from starters necessarily, but uh, in addition to Watts, Colin Garland retired. Ben Kennedy uh, was delisted. Jake Spencer delisted. Jack Tringove and Mitch White all delisted. Heredia Lumumba had retired uh, early in 2017. So... But it was a. It was a, wasn't. He was still on the list that year. So yeah. Um, after a roller coaster of a ride through the season, uh, it seemed to hang on every game. The demons finally broke through to make the finals for the first time since two thousand and six. Jesse Hogan had his best season, I believe, uh, with forty seven goals and averaged eighteen disposals a game. While Tom McDonald led the goal kicking with fifty three. Uh, Melbourne not only made the finals, but managed to skittle the Cats in the elimination final and the Hawks in the semi to go on and play their first prelim since since 2000. Unfortunately, it ended with a drubbing at the hands of the Eagles at Optus Stadium, but Melbourne were finally on the map and there were great times ahead, Dan. (laughs) Or so it seemed. Yes. (laughs) Just very quickly about 2018, there was a whole thing throughout pretty much the whole year, the fact that Melbourne hadn't beaten anyone in the top eight and, uh, you know, how seriously could you take a team who hadn't taken a top eight scalp? And I think it might have been with two rounds remaining. Uh, they had a big win. Uh, West Coast won, yeah. So that was a top eight win there. And they backed it up the next week against GWS, who are also a top eight side. Got on a big run, uh, obviously, taking out Geelong and Hawthorne, as you said. But, yeah, they were playing a completely different style of footy, weren't they? It was much more um, chaotic and uh, just... Uh, you know, get the ball forward and uh, not a lot of defensive structure, which, you know, was was difficult for the defence, obviously, and it wasn't an overly strong defence either. But, yeah, when it worked, Melbourne could put on some huge scores. And, uh, yeah, I think their scoring was pretty good throughout this whole year. But, uh, yeah, I guess they just ran into a seasoned opponent, their home deck, that uh, wasn't going to get pushed around. And, the kamikaze style kind of fell apart and uh, they never really got going in that game. No, they didn't. And um, yeah, it was a totally different style that they were playing. They, they were trying to own the corridor a bit more and they would go for the... They were playing on a lot more too. They would play on at all costs and so many times you'd see... It looked great when it came off, but you'd see these quick chains of handballs and yeah, running through the middle, but... Um, Quite often you'd also see one handball, then the second handball miss a target and it stunted the momentum. So it was just, it was very, very, um, 
I guess, spasmodic or something. It was, yeah, really, you didn't know what to expect half the time. It was kind of interesting in this period as well because it was kind of almost like two opposites. Melbourne would go through periods of games where they just couldn't score. So they kind of had some of the issues that they'll have the next couple of years where that forward connection just looked like it was pretty bad. They weren't getting very good values from their like slow inside 50s or even their sort of medium fast ones. But when they completely broke open and they got the ball out into a lot of space and it really was just chaos, keep flicking it on, that's Mm. when they were scoring. And they could go on runs of kicking like five or six goals very quickly with this style. But it was kind of uh, a little bit unsustainable sometimes because when they were getting the more controlled entries, they're almost never scoring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're living and dying by it. Would have been interesting to see what would have happened in the 2018 grand final against Collingwood if <laughs> Melbourne had actually made it through. My opinion at the time was we would have got smashed. And yeah. seeing how it played out, I still think that's probably what would have happened. Do you have an opinion on that? I I tend to lean towards that we probably would have been carved up. Um, yeah, I just... I just didn't think we had the speed to go with some of those guys. Like, like Trelaw had just come back in, and uh, yeah, you know, Collingwood were a quick team at that they point. Were, they were moving the ball very fast, and it was—I think it was just, it was too fast for us. Yeah, so we've avoided that. We've got the prelim memory instead of a yes. grand final loss there, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what happens next? 2019. A lot of is expected of Melbourne now, almost unanimously. The tipsters are picking Melbourne to. Uh, least get back to the prelims but it was a horror year really so i don't remember the exact numbers but something like 18 players went in for off-season surgeries so they were behind the eight ball from uh the get-go and i think that compromised a lot of their pre-season work throughout this whole year i was just so shocked by how poorly melbourne were you know running and finding space and they faded out of games terribly, and the second half of the season was even worse. I think they lost the, <laughs> they lost the last seven games. They were only by the end of it, they were only above Gold Coast, so they finished seventeenth. And uh, yeah, they were still getting a lot of inside fifties, winning a lot of stoppages, but their yep. inside inside fifty effectiveness was so low. They they were terrible. <laughs> yeah, that, there's no nice way to put it. Um, Right from the start, we looked really unfit. I still remember that round one game against Port. We just looked, we just looked gassed. We just couldn't run out the game. Uh, next week against Geelong, got smashed down, and it just yeah. All of a sudden, Melbourne was a rabble again. And um, yeah, it was kind no of a sp- weird one though, wasn't it? Because they always had this excuse to lean back on the fact that you know they had had a lot of injuries in the preseason. They'd had the yeah, less and preparation. Did. And, like, they were very valid reasons, but it didn't change what was actually happening, did it? No, it didn't. And, um, you know, especially when the first half of the season wasn't great, you, there seemed to be this talk of, oh, well, they'll come home with a wet sail at least. And they may not make the eight, but they'll win They'll win a lot of games. You know? And, like you said, it was worse. It was absolutely diabolical. They were finding ways to lose games. I remember that, I think it was a game... Was it Alice Springs or Darwin where we got pipped by Adelaide and we were up? Oh, there were so uh, many yeah, games like terrible. that. Um, yeah, and, and the defensive structure was probably as bad as it could have been in that period. I don't think we were lacking the structure so much, but 
boy, we just could not implement it. That, that we, I think this is where the term frostball came up, and I don't want to attack Sam Frost too much, but uh, I just remember being at the MCG one night against Essen, and he just completely repeatedly mucked up his zone assignments and all you would just see Essendon players in so much space that's usually what happens when a zone breaks down and yeah Melbourne yeah. were pressing up super high yes. for a lot of this season and teams were getting so many goals out the back it was not funny oh. like the the structure just breaks in one or maybe multiple spots and the teams were just getting out so easily oh, I would like I remember I would liken it to, uh, at the time, I would say this to a lot of people. I said, it, it's like we're working on a building site on a scaffolding and there's no security row behind us. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just um, every single time the ball was turned over, they would go and score. And it was just, it was a hard watch. It was a real hard watch. Yeah, so I think one of the stats floating around, I can't remember the exact stat, but Melbourne was giving up the most goals when they were conceding inside 50. So per inside 50, they were giving up. A lot, a lot of goals. The the worst in the competition. It seemed like, yeah, we would get inside 50s. We couldn't keep the ball in there. It would always come out. And on the occasions that we did keep the ball in there and force a stoppage, people would say, oh, yeah, but Melbourne's not really good at forward 50 stoppages. And it's like, well, how are we supposed to score? How are we supposed to win the game? Like, <laughs> Didn't really happen very much. Yeah, it was... You could see what the plan was. You could see what Goodwin was trying to do. But, yeah, that... They were a long way from where they needed to be in executing it. So very quickly, Johnny, what happens in an alternate universe where Melbourne doesn't have all those off-season injuries? Uh, I think it it definitely hurt because uh, right from the get-go, I mean, I'm pretty sure days after the prelim, Clary went in for surgery on both shoulders. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the other surgeries were, but there, there were a lot. There were a lot of surgeries in that preseason. I think... I don't think we finish where we finish, uh, but I don't think. I'm not sure if we would have made finals. I, I don't think we had the right. I don't think our personnel was matching up with what the game plan we were trying to to play at the time. Interesting. So maybe a blessing in disguise. Get those yeah. next wave of picks through. <laughs> yeah, I think we would have finished around about ninth or tenth, somewhere maybe. around there. Yeah. All right, let's what go to 2020. Reckon? Oh, what did okay. You yeah, hard hard to know, obviously, but I think they would have made the finals, but maybe just made the finals. It, it wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have had an impact, so it would have been no. like a seventh or eighth. They would have gone out straight away, and it definitely would have been a building year. So you know, yeah, if you're going to have a bad year, well, you know, making finals isn't a bad year, but if you're going to have a down year, have a really down year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We've got a. Uh, few picks to show for it. Jackson among them. Yeah. That's it. 2020, where are we at? So 2020, so as we said, at the end of 2019, the club identified changes that needed to happen. Uh, They had made a lot of changes mid-year to the coaching staff. Uh, They'd done a lot of shuffle rounds, which was a little bit uh, eyebrow-raising, but they continued to do that and uh, make a few more changes. But also, on the field, they'd identified some needs. Getting burnt on turnovers, a lack of running ability, brought in Ed Langdon uh, in exchange for pick 22-79. Also got pick 26 with that that trade. Uh, Made a gutsy call 
to trade their 2020 first rounder uh, and picks 26 and 50 for North Melbourne's number eight pick, which they then traded to Frio for 10, 28 and a 2024th rounder. So they really wanted to get into this draft and maximise what was out there, Dan. Um, Adam Tomlinson was also acquired in free agency, fresh off playing in the grand final. Traded Sam Frost to Hawthorne uh, with pick 42 and 61 in the 2024th round for pick 50. So pretty much minimum chips they got back. Um, yeah, the draft was, was gutsy again. As we mentioned before, pick three Jackson, pick 12 Pickett and pick, 20, uh, pick 32 Rivers. All WA boys, or Pickett was Woodville West Torrens, so South Australia. But uh, but Jason Taylor clearly had a game plan here, and they they knew who they wanted. Um, also brought in Darren Burgess as the fitness coach. Uh, they identified that need. Fitness just wasn't up to scratch. Um, they made a miniseries documentary called To Hell and Back, which raised a few eyebrows. Did, did Melbourne need to to do that and, and bring more pressure on themselves. But it was a gutsy call. They, they were bold and they did it. Um, had some had some reasonable wins throughout the year. Hawthorne, Collingwood, St Kilda, GWS come to mind. But there are also some total lowlights as well with losses to, well, the loss to Port. That was the Glenn Bartlett soft as butter game uh, when he had those comments to the age, I think it was. Uh, Sydney, who finished third last, and then Frio, uh, which essentially put us out of the finals. Um, the season did end in similar fashion to 2017, with the D's sweating on uh, a Bulldogs-Frio game to make the eight, and alas, this didn't happen. So we finished uh, we finished ninth, didn't we? Or tenth? Yeah, one of those. And, yeah, that was that. It's kind yeah, of nearly a year, wasn't it? Like... Yeah. There was there was a fair bit to like, but they did seem there quite was. flaky a lot of the time. And you talked a little bit about that coaching reshuffle, getting a few different guys in and changing things up a bit. And I think after that point, they did actually go six and three, even though some of those losses were pretty bad. But it was a little bit of an uptick in form. And uh, yeah, I think people have talked about how that, that was kind of a genesis of what sort of happens in 2021 so yeah although people kind of questioned it at the time some of that restructuring I think definitely paid dividends a little bit later yeah yeah I think it was a short-term sacrifice but uh the, the good thing is that they've always been proactive and whether it's paid off or not you can always see what they're doing they, they don't yeah they don't seem like idiots <laughs> Yeah, Melbourne were kind of a weird team in 2020. They kind of seemed like they should be better than they were, but at the same time, you never... Well, I never really expected them to be better than they were. I don't know. It was no. just, this It was this weird thing with Melbourne where it kind of seemed like they were good, but also not at the same time. <laughs> I just... I maintain... I always just thought that we were a perfectly average team. I just thought we were, we were not bad, not good. Around about 10th place... Nothing special, and that was it. Yeah, they definitely had their chance to make the finals if they'd won either of those games up in Cairns against Sydney and Freo would have been in, but put in some shockers against an opposition who were you know willing to work harder for it. And yeah, I guess taught Melbourne a bit of a lesson that maybe they took through to 2021. Yeah, yeah, and um, 
it was funny because people would say things like, oh, well, maybe this will burn in the guts uh, for over summer. And I just wasn't having any of it because I thought that's what everyone was saying after the uh, 2017. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I don't know, maybe this one did. Maybe, maybe the penny just dropped and it was like, well, it's now or never. Like, we're all entering the prime of our careers. Yeah, don't want to waste this it. This is the opportunity, yeah. All right, and last but very much not least, oh. 2021, the yeah, premiership yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's really make, and make or break for Goodwin at this point. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, but I think this was the second last year of Goodwin's contract and people were already coming for him in the media and you know fans alike. There was a lot of uh, resentment towards Goodwin. People couldn't quite see the plan or what was actually going to make Melbourne better. So there was a lot of uh, conjecture around Goodwin. But he maintained it wasn't all about playing finals. He knew that to be you know, a proper team, they needed to be competing with the best teams and really making the top four, if not you know, top six, if not the top four, to actually you know, push for something a bit more meaningful. So that was really important. And the season begun amazingly well for Melbourne. So nine wins in a row, the first time this has happened since 1964. And uh, every year that they'd done it, uh, they'd actually gone on to win the premiership with a good omen, and it would ultimately prove to be a good omen. And, uh, yeah, through that stretch of nine games, uh, the style was very identifiable, defensive structure, intact and uh, uh, willing to work for each other both ways and uh, yeah, getting enough score on the board with some good turnover game. And there wasn't a heap of scoring from stoppage at this time of year, but uh, yeah, the combination of being able to turn it over uh, well and uh, you know transition out of the back half and having the good setup behind the ball made Melbourne very difficult to play against. And I guess probably the best wins in this stretch of games was uh, Geelong in round four and Richmond the Anzac Day Eve game. And uh, yeah, I guess people started taking notice of Melbourne a little bit more after they knocked off Richmond when Richmond was still sort of up and about at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of pressure. There's no doubt about that. Um, Pretty much every credible Juno was saying he could be shown the door if they don't make the eights. Yeah. and it was, it was a tough situation as well because I remember all the communications from Gary Pert and it was kind of a situation where nothing he would say would go down well with anyone because on one hand you'd say, oh, well, we've got to make the eight this year. But then you'd have those those Melbourne fans that are starved going, well, I don't just want to make the eight. No, that, I don't just live to make the eight. I want to win flags. I want to do this. And it's a real hard position to be in. But they were very... They were very adamant that uh, it wasn't just about making the eight, and they actually did a review. Uh, it's easy to forget this. Gary Pert did a review late last year, and um, it wouldn't have been easy. It wouldn't have been easy for Goody, but uh, in the end, they made the right decisions, and they brought in some some really good people. Adam Muzo came back, and Mark Williams was brought in, and. Yeah, the impact that those two have had alone, I think, has has just improved improved this tenfold. Alan Richardson, I think, when he came in, I think he was the director of coaching, and I don't know from the outside looking in, I just don't know if that was a, a good fit. I don't think that 
that was what we needed. And I think he's excelled a lot more as the as the head of football. So, yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, you you, you make these kinds of tweaks and some it comes up with a good a good result. I mean, I think a lot of credit. A lot of people will say that it was Josh Marnie's time to go, but I think Josh Marnie does also deserve some credit over the journey uh, for for helping to build all of this. And yeah, it's just. It's, I still can't believe that you could be under so much pressure at the start of the year and and finish the year like this. That's got to be the weirdest year in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen overnight. You can see tra- tracing back through the years, he is that there's been little building blocks along the way. And yeah, it didn't look like it was going to happen, at least not quickly. But yeah, I guess it just shows that things can change pretty quickly if you've you know, made some good decisions over a period of time and then get some of these other decisions about who's doing what in within the club right, it can uh, come together. And also just a, a good lesson that a, a coach can evolve. I mean, we saw it with Damien Hardwick uh, at the end of the 2016 season. He looked at what he needed to do and Trent Cochin also as a captain looked at what he needed to do to change and a change is possible and... It seems like Goodwin has put a lot more trust into these assistants around him. The help's there. That's what it's there for. Uh, and, yeah, it's really enabled him to go the next step as a, as a coach. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to the next few points here. So Melbourne did hit a, hit a bit of a flat spot after this nine wins in a row in the middle of the year. They basically went 50-50 through about eight or nine rounds here. So... Uh, there are a few losses to lower-ranked teams. Adelaide, Collingwood. Uh, who was the other one? I can't think off the top of my head. Oh, GWS. And, yeah, so I guess they're not really that lower-ranked. That's why I couldn't remember it. And, obviously, the draw with Hawthorne there. So, yeah, so there was still a couple of good wins through this period. I think this period is where they also beat the Bulldogs and Brisbane in a couple of back-to-back games. And, uh, yeah, I think we identified it in the year in the podcast, the fact that Melbourne had kind of just lost their zip a little bit. They'd lost their ability to put on the manic pressure. And I guess we kind of know now that probably it was to do with a bit more of the loading they were putting into the players. And it would make sense that they weren't able to execute in exactly the same way. And we have spoke a lot about how the whole game that Melbourne's trying to play is continued on pressure. And when that isn't as high or wasn't as high, it actually uh, made it easier to play against Melbourne. And as well as that, they weren't getting the transition or ability to turn it over either without that hard running. So uh, they couldn't score as much. So it was kind of a perfect storm. So I guess in hindsight, you'd say Melbourne actually did pretty well to hold up the way they did. And, you know, the games they lost, though, a couple of them, you know, you wouldn't have expected them to drop. They dropped the one to Adelaide by a point. Collingwood went within Buckley's last game and yeah it was an interesting period through this middle part of the season and I guess a few people were jumping off Melbourne a little bit and it was a little bit tricky to see you know how they were going to challenge some of the best sides if they couldn't score enough yeah yeah yep it it did seem like that at some points but yeah look they were just a very hard hard side to play against and that was their that was their number one thing, and it seemed like the other stuff could could um could come later in in a way. 
the fact was we were you know really hard to break down really hard to score against and that was a good building block i think a good foundation yeah absolutely so i think yeah the defense was still working very well through this stretch so the main problem was they just weren't quite scoring enough or and they were also very inaccurate so they just lost a couple of pillars to their game that made things a bit harder but uh yeah they were still doing enough they were still hanging around the top couple of teams through this period and uh yeah it's probably healthy that they dropped a couple of games like the pressure would have been even higher if they so. hadn't if they hadn't dropped these games so yeah no i think it was i think it was and really that all it all led to this last four games of the season uh we talked about it obviously at the time but Really, they needed to win three out of these four games uh, to make sure they were going to finish in top four. And within that four-game stretch, there were a couple of, that you thought were winnable against Adelaide and also GWS. Uh, sorry, also Gold Coast. But there was an away trip to Perth to face the Eagles and also uh trip down to the Cattery to face Geelong. So tough way to end the season, but... Amazingly, Melbourne ends up going 4-0 to finish on top of the ladder, and it's that last round against the Cats that gets them that first place and the ability to choose where they play the next week instead of having to face Port Adelaide at their home ground. So, obviously, Gorn kicking the goal after the siren and coming back from 44 points down. Uh, Yeah, obviously a very pivotal moment now that we know what happens next, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was such a such a defining moment i mean it made it was almost spiritual you just kind of felt well if if it's if that's going to happen then what else is possible so it was it was really good it was really good to get the minor premiership in hindsight i think it was uh, you know like we mentioned recently there was all that talk about oh but you can't win it it doesn't happen often and um you know it's it's too hard i i, I just like it how and, and I was guilty of it too. Uh, in that game, I was happy to, to just lose it. I thought, look, let's not let's not bust a gut here. Let's just play out the game. Maybe play better in the second half and let's just get, bring on Port. Uh, you know, fancy our chances. But the fact that now this team is... is it's almost programmed to win. Like, it's just... Um, yeah, no, no, no. We're, we're, happy to, we're happy to win. We're happy to give it everything we got and then go again and get top spot and win it from there and yeah it's just it's a team that is just so resilient and yeah you don't need to take any soft approaches with it yeah for so long i think melbourne was trying to become a team that knew how to win again like you know through the early 2010s they weren't winning many games and there was the whole thing of you know the suspected tanking and just the way everything was set up they weren't conditioned to winning or just the way everything was going it just didn't seem like things were being set up to allow them to win games so it took a long time for them to shake that and uh ruse talked about that you know the veil of negativity sort of expecting to fail and that extends to the supporters as well but yeah what melbourne was able to do through this year basically just broke through every one of these uh barriers that had been put up in front of them, whether they were real or whether they were just things that, you know, people said. But, you know, first minor premiership since 1964 
and then go into the final series absolutely primed, uh, basically smash all the opposition. The uh, first game against Brisbane, they were very dominant. A slightly quiet third quarter, probably allowed Brisbane to come back into the game a little bit, but still a 33-point win, and we know what happens in the prelim and the grand final. Uh, I think it's 86 and 74 points, respectively, with uh, stoppage dominance doing a heap of damage uh, and scoring a fair bit from turnover against the Bulldogs as well. So, yeah, you'd have to say it all all the planning worked. They performed the best when it mattered most. They had the breaks that they had to deal with. They, uh, you know, did the heavy match simulation that they needed to do and they were able to execute their plan and... Uh, you know, they've got a lot of ways to hurt the opposition, as we talked about. It's not just the fantastic defensive system. They've got the transition out of the back half uh, going quite quickly and attacking when they can. You know, they're winning contests in the front half. They're turning it over on the way out. And, of course, the goals from clearance that ratcheted right up in the second half of the season, particularly through the finals. So, yeah, very complete uh year from Melbourne, I would say. Like I think that you'd have to say that the most dominant team through a season probably if you go I'm not even sure, like with the Hawthorne teams, it wasn't wouldn't it maybe two thousand and fifteen that they would have been equally as dominant as yeah. this? You might even have to go back further, just in terms of like 'cause I don't I don't I'm not even sure. I don't think Hawthorne actually finished on top of the ladder that year. So you probably no. have to go back to, geez, how far do you have to go back? Because Collingwood were a very dominant team, but then, you know, they couldn't, they drew the first grand final with St Kilda, so it kind of Maybe rules them out. Geelong 07? I think, yeah, I think you have to go all the way back to Geelong 07 to uh, get a team that has been as dominant as Melbourne has been and, you know, through the finals and through the home and away as well, so... Like they did lose a few games, but yeah, I think if you just look at the collective picture, they've been more dominant than the Richmond and Hawthorne teams, and yeah, all the way back to Geelong in two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah, and just beating the best teams multiple times in a year. Yeah, you know, absolutely. three times over Geelong, a couple of times over the Dogs, twice over Brisbane. I mean, look, if there's one that you could. Look, it might have been for the absolute neutral. It might have been nice to see how they would have gone against Port again, but dismantled Port the first time around as well. I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue with. So we did the percentages before the grand final. So remember, basically they had about a 83, 84% win rate against top five and top eight seams. That would actually go up again after the grand final win. I haven't redone the calculation, but... They're very good percentages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yeah, they didn't lie, did they? No, no, not at all. So, yeah, caps off a fantastic year for Melbourne and uh, very well set up for what comes next. No guarantees in football, but, uh, yeah, we should have some enjoyable seasons coming up, even if there are no more premierships. You would think that there's going to be some great performances and uh, there'll be... Yep. They'll be competing. Uh, yeah, they'll be competing for the premiership, sure. if nothing else. Yeah, there'll be a shot. That's for sure. All right, we've done a bit of a marathon session here, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, plenty of good stuff in there, and uh, 
good keepsake to look back on for sure. uh, after you know some time has passed i'm sure thanks for jumping on the line yes yes what a pleasure uh what a season <laughs> yeah so i guess when we first started this at the beginning of the season we never would have thought it would have gone this way but uh yeah been immensely enjoyable uh hopefully you guys have enjoyed the ride as well and thanks for sticking with us and uh yeah gonna have to wait a while for some more football but might even be a bit more football to enjoy in the flesh next year and just so. a quick thanks to you dean um because i know a lot of work goes into making the show and yeah just been consistently sticking at it all year and yeah uh thanks for having me on all year really appreciate it no problem johnny it's been great fun and yeah i really do like listening back to some of the old episodes and it's just sort of a marker in time and yeah we'll always have this as a bit of a collection i suppose and uh yeah it's been a lot of fun doing it with you so thanks for your contributions all right guys for the final time this year bye for now